Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey everybody, how you doing? This is Joe McCall. Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Got a special little treat for you today. This is not a normal podcast, but I thought it would be really good for you. Uh, one of my students, Ilana, uh, posted a question in the Facebook group about some questions that she had regarding tenant buyers getting financing on their lease option deals. And uh, I was trying to answer them on Facebook. Other people were trying to answer them, but we weren't really answering her question. And so I said, hey, listen, Elena, let's get on the phone and talk. And if it's all right with you, I'll record our conversation. You can ask me your questions and I'll try my best to answer them. And I'll answer them until you're satisfied with the answer. So anyway, it's a short little podcast here, about 25 minutes or so. And Elena asked some really, really good questions. And so I just wanted to include them here as a podcast. So if you're at all interested in lease options, I'd encourage you to listen because these are a lot of questions that people get. They're common questions when it comes to lease option deals. And so I'm hoping that by answering these questions from a student who's actually doing deals, you all would get some inspiration, get some clarification on how some things work and some good stuff like that. Cool. So I also want to tell you real quick, if you want my book on how to, you want to learn how to do lease options, I want to encourage you to get my book. It's called Wholesaling Lease Options. Discover the fastest and easiest way to make money in real estate today. And you can get it for free at wlobook.com. Wlobook.com. It's free. You just pay shipping and handling. It's all killer, no filler, as I like to say. It's got all really good content. I show you how to do these deals. I talk about the different types of offers you can make to lease option sellers, to sellers about lease option deals. I talk about the different types of marketing. I talk about what to say and all that good stuff. So get my book, all right? WLObook.com. It's free. We'll ship it out to you. Just pay shipping and handling. And I appreciate you all very much. And uh, let's get on to the podcast, all right? We'll see you. Hey, everybody. Joe McCall here, and I'm with Elena. And did I pronounce it right? No. Alana. Yeah. I'm sorry, Alana. I'm really sorry. All right, so Alana had some good questions about getting tenant buyers financed, helping them get financed. So when you put them into a lease option house, how do you get that money that applied that they put down towards their option deposit as their future down payment? Is that right, Alana? That is yes, yes. Because the only reason I asked that, I know you recommend finding a broker who's um well versed in that, but I have an existing broker. He's really, really good. I want to use him and continue using him. So I was seeing if, you know, if I can explain it to him because I, I like him, but he's more a traditional loan officer. Sure. Okay. Well, let me preface all of this by saying you don't want to be the loan expert and you shouldn't have to explain anything to a loan broker, loan mor- a mortgage broker or loan officer. Um, they should be the one telling you how to do it. Right. So when, whenever I've done any kind of deal, um, when I'm going to a title company or an attorney or a uh, mortgage broker, I'm like, I want to do this. How do you recommend we do it? Mm-hmm. Right. And so sometimes the title company will say, you can't wholesale properties. That's illegal. You can't double close. You can't do assignments. You can't. So you want to make sure you're, you're asking the question to them with an open mind. But if mm-hmm. they tell you you can't do it, then you need to find somebody else who tells you, you know what? This is how we can do it. Right. So. 
just like, and I learned this, I have my realtor's license, right? And one of the first things they teach you when you're going to school to get your, your real estate licenses, don't ever pretend to be the expert in something that you're not. You know, if somebody asks you a question about getting mortgages, refer them to a mortgage broker. When someone asks you a question about foundations, you know, and, or termites, refer them to the experts. And so it's important for you as an investor, first of all, to understand that you need to know how to do lease option deals, right? But you can't, you got to be careful with telling a mortgage broker how to do it because what if that, what, what if you're telling them the wrong way or something like that? So here's my first advice would be talk to the mortgage broker and say, Hey, I heard this guy is doing this stuff. How do you recommend we do it? Because if he's a good mortgage broker, he's going to be, well, you know what? Let me figure that out. Let me find that out. And you could say this. Well, he, Joe says that certain banks won't allow the option deposit money to be applied towards the down payment. Certain banks will, right? And I also sent you a link to that podcast that I did with the mortgage broker. Did you listen yeah, to I that? Yeah, I saw that. Mm-hmm. So we talked about this whole issue very, very uh, specifically then. Right. Give context to little people that are listening as well. When a tenant buyer moves into a lease option house, they're going to write a check out for their option deposit money. And it's hopefully three to 5%, okay, of the price of the house. They're going to write that check out. I recommend you have that check go to an escrow company, right? Then in one right. or two years, when that tenant buyer is working with a mortgage broker, the mortgage broker can show the bank this this check made out to a escrow company two years earlier and get that applied towards their down payment. So it's all on how you present it to the bank in one or two years. Does that make sense, Alana? Yes, it makes sense. Um, Do you, I mean, are there nationwide banks that accept it like that? Or is it just for them to figure out? It just seems so vast to try to just, I don't know. Well, to figure I, out which, do you know which nationwide uh, banks do that? No, I don't have any. And I, and I would be hesitant to recommend any because I really would prefer you to work with local mortgage brokers for one big reason. You want your tenant buyer to work with that mortgage broker, right? Right. And I, I want my tenant buyers, if they're trying to get their loan, to be able to like, once a month, once a quarter, go to that mortgage broker's office Mm-hmm. and say, you know what, this is, these are the things I need to do to get my credit fixed to get a mortgage. You know, the mortgage broker can tell them, hey, listen, you need to make sure you don't get a loan on a car. Make sure you pay down these credit cards. Make sure you get a new line of credit. Uh, take care of this little deficiency judgment or something like that, right? You're just not going to get that from a big national bank. And the problem, too, is there's, there's very few, if any, big nationwide banks or mortgage brokers that are licensed in all 50 states. Oh, okay. That makes sense. That, so it's like what you said. Don't ask, don't ask how, ask who, right? That's, that's exactly right. A lot of, so you gotta, it's important to still know the how, right? And, and that's why I created my course, but you, you still want to be sure you're not presenting yourself as the expert on how to do the mortgage side of the thing, right? Because you need to work with a mortgage broker that's doing What is important is this. There's a few things that are really, really important. You, you, get, you find a good local mortgage broker that, that is comfortable working with people who have challenged credit, people that need a little bit of credit repair so they can get their credit fixed and over the line. 
You want to make sure, number two, that you're working only with tenant buyers that have a realistic chance of getting a mortgage in one to two years, preferably right. a year or less, right? Want to make yes. sure there's a realistic chance of getting a mortgage in one year or less. So they have to be able to afford the home. They need to be able to have, have to have a good debt to income ratio. Mm-hmm. And the credit needs to be where, you know, it's just a few tweaks here and there. They should be able, no guarantees, they should be able to get a mortgage in a year. The other mm-hmm. thing is it's important. You want to make sure that initial, and, and this only applies to lease option assignments. It doesn't apply to sandwich lease options. Sandwich lease options, it's okay if the check's made out to you, the investor. On a lease option assignment, you want that tenant buyer to make a cashier's check out to a escrow company, and your mortgage broker can help you find this. It could even be an attorney that can then, you can show the bank in a year that this money was made out to an escrow company. Typically what happens is in a year when that tenant buyer gets ready to get a mortgage, the mortgage broker is going to help create a, on a lease option assignment deal, they're going to write up a new purchase and sale agreement between the tenant buyer and the seller. And it's going to be between them at that, that price that you were advertising it before. But not every bank will allow that money that they put down a year ago towards their down payment. Certain banks will. I don't know which banks will, which banks won't. It kind of just depends on the deal, but you need to rely on your mortgage broker to figure that out for you. Got it. Got it. And then let me ask you this. If, if it's, is it a matter of how you word it? Because I always imagine when it comes, you know, when the tenant buyer first signs on, they, you know, you get the non-refundable option fee up front. And then in two years later, or whenever it is time for them to fully cash out, it's like they're going to have to pay another type of down payment. And I just don't want them to be like, oh, didn't I already pay like a down payment towards the house? So you don't word the option fee as a deposit or a down payment. I've heard some things like that. Like you have to be careful of the way you word it and you can't use these words interchangeably. Is that correct? Right. So my contracts are worded right now where they don't guarantee that that money will be applied towards our down payment. All it does is saying it's going to be reduced from the price of the home. Okay. So if they, you know, if they don't use the bank, the mortgage broker that I tell them to use and they try to go to their own bank of America or Wells Fargo, whatever to do it, Mm -hmm. nowhere in the contract is it guaranteeing that that money will go towards the the down payment. I'm saying that it goes to reduce the price of the home. So in technical terms, really, they're just buying the option to buy the property in the future. Yeah, I like the way you just put it, like there's no guarantee that the down payment, it comes off the purchase price, but it doesn't necessarily go towards a down payment. I think that just made it click. Got oh, it. Good. <laughs> good. <laughs> All right. Anything okay. else, Alana? Yes. Um, if it comes, I know that part of the, part of the draw for a seller selling it on a, selling their house on a lease option is to be able to get close a full price or close to full price offer when they otherwise may not. So my question is this, if you price it and you do the contract and, you know, you do everything at the top of the market and then say the house doesn't appreciate quite as much, say you're a little bit shy, say you did the contract with the tenant buyers for like a hundred K, but the house only appraised for 92 K, then what, then is it, they have to, the seller has to reduce the price or what happens if that happens? Couple things. Um, 
nobody can predict what the market's going to do in one or two years, right? You can't predict that it's going to go up, be flat, or it's going to go down. It may, we may have a huge recession. We may get bombed. You know, we may go to war and the economy goes to crap. So you, nobody can predict what the market's going to do in the future. So don't feel like you have to be, you have to predict what the market's going to do. You need to be within, within the best reason that you can. What I like to do is I will set the option price in one or two years at today's price plus maybe three to 5%. So you can charge a premium. Just like, you know, if you were to sell a house, you could charge a premium if that house had granite countertops, if it had a pool in the backyard, and if, if it had irrigation, if it had, um, you know, really high-end finishes, marble floors, you could charge a premium for that. Well, it's the same with selling a house on a lease option. When you sell a house with creative terms, you can charge a premium on that. Not something extravagant and crazy, but you can charge a premium. Absolutely. 5% is a good premium from today's current market value. So if a house is worth $100,000 today, I'm probably not going to sell it for more than $105,000 in a year or two from now, right? So Mm -hmm. it's reasonable. No judge can look at you in two years and say, hey, listen, that house was worth $100,000 two years ago and now it's worth 80,000 and you were trying to sell it for 120, that's unreasonable. You understand? So that, yes. that so you, you want to, you can show them, and this has happened to me before, the same exact thing that you, you're talking about. I did a lease option right at the height of the market, market crashed and the house I was selling for at current market value back then was worth 20 or $30,000 less today. The tenant was trying to sue me, but the, Nothing ever came of it because we showed them. I could even show them on Zillow. The You know how Zillow has that chart that shows mm-hmm. past prices and future predictions or whatever? And I can show them, okay, on this date, it was here, and that was what the value was, and now it was here. So what I did also at the time is I, when I'm looking at comps on a property, I saved all of the comps. I, I printed PDFs mm-hmm. on my computer of all of the comps at that time to show that the house was really actually worth $100,000, $105,000 two years ago. And so when I showed the attorney of that uh, of that tenant all of this proof that I have, that back then it was worth that. Nobody could have predicted the market was going to crash like it did. Right. Nothing ever came of that, right? So here's my point. And to answer your question, mm-hmm. if it does go down, you can't be liable or held liable for anything like that. What I tell the seller is, and if this is an assignment and I'm not in the deal anymore, what I tell the seller and the tenant buyer is this, listen, we're going to set the option prices at $105,000, okay? If for whatever reason it doesn't appraise for $105,000, what I'm going to recommend, Mr. Seller, is if this tenant, they've been paying on time, they've been taking care of the house, you know, you should just extend the lease option another year until it does Uh appraise. So you have a couple options. You can keep on extending it until it does appraise, or you can negotiate your price and lower it down. So sometimes in my contracts, I do give the tenant buyer an automatic extension. I do tell them, I said, listen, if it doesn't appraise, we'll go ahead and automatically extend it another 12 months. So it's up to you if you want to add that into your contract, if you're concerned about that. You could add it in there as long as the seller understands, like, listen, we're, you know, I'm a little nervous about this price. We're a little aggressive with it here. Like, this is another example. The house is worth 200000 today. The seller wants to sell it for two twenty-five. That's maybe a little too much, right? Right. I'll tell the seller, I said, all right, listen, we're going to do this. We'll sell it for 225 
but I'm going to put a clause in my lease option contract that says if it doesn't appraise for 225, this tenant buyer gets to automatically extend it every year until it does appraise. And usually the seller doesn't have a problem with that. Right. Okay. That, that makes sense. I just wanted to know what was the options if, yeah. if that scenario and yeah, all that stuff, all those points you made are valid. Nobody knows. Yeah. Thank you so much graciously for answering those questions. I guess my last and final question I have is, um, you know, I downloaded REI Simple. I have everything set up. I have my leads that I import into the CRM and I like it. You know, I, I have my documents. I know how to generate contracts and so yeah. on. So my question is this, what is a good workflow? So leads come in, you text them that intro text the same day saying like, hi, I saw your house. Is it available? Are you the owner? Yeah. Now, once you go down into lease options and they say no, if you say, oh, would you consider rent to own for a little while and then selling and they say no, then, then do you reach up with them back in another month, two months, leave it alone? Like sometimes yeah. I get these leads and I'm like, I don't know how long to follow up without being a pest, you know? <laughs> well, first of all, don't worry about being a pest. Mm -hmm. um, we, we did 58 deals last year. Okay. We were looking at the numbers the other day. In 2018, we did 58 deals. Mm -hmm. Of those 58 deals, 54 came from the follow-up. Wow. 54 came from people that said no at the beginning. Wow. Then we, some of those, most of them are traditional wholesaling deals. We're doing this with a student in Alabama. Mm -hmm. But uh, even with lease options, even more with lease options, most people, are, they don't, they've maybe not heard of it, they've not thought of it before, they're going to say no. And so we just follow up with them. Depending on their motivation, if they're like on a scale of one to 10, if they're a one and not motivated at all, we might follow up with them once a month. If they're a five or a six or a seven, we might, you know, they're open to the idea. We might follow up with them every couple of weeks, every one to two weeks, depending on what's going on, right? But you always want to follow up with every one of them. So what I like to do in REI Simple is a couple of things. You know, there's the five-star rating in there. You could use that as the motivation rating if you wanted. So a cold, oh. a one-star, and then a, um, you could do a three-star for a warm and a five-star for a hot lead. Mm -hmm. But then what's really important is you got to change the status to follow-up. You know, and you could even have a status for follow-up cold, follow-up warm, follow-up hot. Yeah, I do. All right. Mm -hmm. so then what you could do is what I recommend is create a new task. Okay. Mm -hmm. Create a task. If it's a hot lead or a warm lead, I'd create a task in a couple weeks to call them back. All right. Mm -hmm. Then just move on to the next one. Because then in two weeks, that task is going to pop up in your calendar and you're going to look at the lead and you're just going to send them a text. You could call them if you wanted. You could do a slide dial if you wanted, mm -hmm. um, whatever. And, and you could just follow up with them and say, hey, you know, how are you doing? Have you sold the house yet? How's the tenant working out? If it's a seller that just put a tenant in the house, I might call them and I might set a task to follow up with them in, in two months, right? How's the tenant working out? Do you have, do you have any interest in selling the house? Do you have any other rental properties that you'd like to sell, right? Oh, because, you know, I was putting those people on a year because I figured that they're in a year lease. They're locked in a year oh, lease with oh. the tenant. But that's interesting. Yeah, you got to follow up with them more often than that, right? And it could just be, hey, do you have any other properties that you'd like to sell? Do you know anybody who's got some houses they'd like to sell? How's the mm -hmm. tenant working out? Hopefully they're working out great, you know? If you ever change your mind, if you decide you want to sell or, you know, please contact me. I'd love to talk with you, right? Gotcha. What I recommend also, this is important, is that once a month, I would take all of your old leads and download them 
and send them a postcard or a letter. Take all your old leads. You know, you should be, you should be able to download the owner's mailing address and the property address. Right. Just send them a handwritten um, postcard or a letter or something saying, "Hey, this is Alana. Uh-huh. You don't remember me? We talked a few a while ago about your property at one two three Main Street. Just calling up. I mean, just following up. If you have any interest in selling, I'm still interested in buying. Or if you have any other properties you'd be interested in selling, please call me. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Something All super right. cool like that, right? Gotcha, gotcha. That sounds great. That sounds great. And um, what I wanted to ask you is, you know that um, the one, I have one property right now that I have, you know, on a lease option for a two-year term. That's the one that I was doing the whole Airbnb thing with. Yeah. Now it's going good because it's cash flowing nicely every month. Now towards the end of the term, mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, I kind of came in without an exit. So it's on Airbnb now and, you know, there's listings, there's guests there and everything. It's great. But yeah. when it comes time to cash out, I'm like, do I just put it on the MLS with like a flat free broker or because <laughs> I wouldn't have had a tenant buyer in there that's going to qualify. I didn't really look so far ahead, but now I'm like, you know, I'm like, gee, yeah. I got to think about that. Well, first of all, big pat on the back. Congratulations to uh-huh. you for taking such massive action. Your first lease option deal, he turned it into an Airbnb and you negotiated with the seller to keep the furniture there, right? Yeah. Cause he staged it to make it look good and it just wouldn't sell no matter if he staged it or not. So yeah, I, I got so lucky. Awesome. I think So awesome. So anyway, what I would do then is uh, you have a couple different options and that's the great thing about lease options, right? Like if you don't want to, you can just walk away from the deal at the end and say, you know what, here you can have it back. Um, but you have a couple options. I would think about talk to the seller and try to negotiate and extend it out and say, Hey, this has been going great. Can we do another couple of years? See what they mm-hmm. say. Um, if, if, is there much equity in the house? No, I have it under contract for 148. And recently a house around the corner appraised at 157. Okay. So there's not much equity in it. So it wouldn't make any sense to um, list it on the MLS and try to double close on it. Right. Right, but it would it would I would be able to say there was within my contract I would be able to put it on the MLS and forego the whole tenant buyer waiting in there, right? You sure you could, but look at the numbers, right? If you I don't I don't remember exactly what you said, but if you sell it for one fifty five, and you owe I mean your contract is one forty eight, you barely have enough money to pay the commissions to pay the commissions, right? No, no, I meant like if it was in a case where there was more equity. Yeah. I would be legally allowed to just put it right on the MLS and list it, right? For sure, yeah. With our contracts. Okay. There's different ways to do that. And this goes back to the original question. Is you'd have to talk to your escrow or title company and say, hey, listen, this is what I got. I've got this sandwich lease option. I got this contract with the seller to buy it here. And you know, this round numbers, let's say I got a contract to buy it for 145. I think I can sell it for 185. Um, and mm-hmm. I have six months left in my option period. I want to list it on the MLS and sell it. What would you recommend that we do? How do you recommend that we do this? There's a couple different ways. And depending if the title company is investor friendly and they understand this, they could say, well, you know, let's you have, I don't remember the numbers. Let's you have a $35,000 spread in there. What you could do, one of the things you could do is you could record a $35,000 lien on the property so that when it does, when you do sell it on the MLS and you got to make sure the seller's on the same page with you and they should be, you know, the buyer you bring on the MLS will contract with the seller. So you'll be removed, but you'll be paid on the HUD 
from satisfying the lien. Or the title company may say, like I've used this, not me actually, some of my students have used this. They have a title company in Illinois. The title company, they prefer to call it a revocation of options. So you record the option in the county. And on the HUD, just call it a revocation, a revocation of option. Mm-hmm. That option agreement, right? So I've had title companies tell me before, well, just send us an invoice, whatever your profit is on the deal. Uh, get the seller to sign it, you sign it, send us the invoice and we'll pay it. So it kind of depends on like if the wow. person buying it mm-hmm. is a cash buyer, if they're trying to get FHA financing, if there's a 90 day seasoning rule with FHA or whatever, mm-hmm. and you know, they're, 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 the title company will tell you the best way to do it. You may need to take title for 90 days, right? Wow. You sell it. So there's different, there's three or four different ways to do it. You just got to find a good title company that understands what you're doing. They understand lease options and uh, they're a little more open to some creative things. And then they will tell you, well, you know, let's do it this way. Let's try to do it this way. Just make sure you're doing that in enough with enough advanced time. Right. Right. Makes sense. Yes. That makes sense. With the seller, you might go back to the seller and say, listen, can we do this some more? And I'll share, I'll split my profits with you. Right. Um, let me continue doing this and I'll give you 25% of whatever my profits are. Um, right. Maybe you could even negotiate with the seller a lower rent to him mm-hmm. and uh, you continue doing the Airbnb on it for another two, three, four, five years and mm-hmm. now s- split the profits with the seller. That makes sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And I had a seller actually tell me that he, on another note, I had a seller tell me that he wanted the price to him to be the future appraised price. And that kind of threw me for a loop because I didn't know they were so not sophisticated, but I just didn't expect that. I asked him, how can I put it under contract on another deal? And he said, we'll put it under contract for the future appraised price. Like what if, you, you should have asked him, well, what if the future appraised price is $100,000 less than what it is today? Right. I did. And I said that that doesn't protect you. Suppose it's less, mm-hmm. but they wanted to do either this or higher, you know, like the future appraised price or like this, like a number or whatever, the higher of the two. Yeah. That's, that's a good common. That's a common objection that you get a lot from sellers in higher appreciating markets. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll say, let's do this. We'll split it down the middle. So if the house is worth 400,000 a day and it's going to be worth 450 in two years, let's set the option price at 425. So the tenant buyer gets half the appreciation and you get half of the pre appreciation. Would that be fair? And usually that's, that's fine. So um, mm-hmm. you could write that up. You could write it up that way, you know, uh-huh. you, you, cause that tenant buyer has got to have some incentive to want to. Yeah. Buy I just thought that was so unfair. I thought their incentive was a locked in price today yes. and locking other buyers out. You know? So, you know, it could just mean that seller is not motivated enough yet, right? And you just you might just need to pull away. You need to pull back and say, you know, this, this, this doesn't sound like this is going to work out for you. And that's totally fine, right? But this is the way you have to be like strong enough to say like, this is the way we do it. This is the way it's going to have to happen. And if, if mm-hmm. you think, no, that's fine. It's, but you should probably just list it with a realtor and sell it. Why don't you just sell it right now? I can refer some realtors to you if you want. And, you know, if you, <laughs> posture. You, Oh yeah. It's all about positioning and pulling back, not chasing them, but pulling away. And then uh, if he's motivated, he or she, if they're motivated, they, you know, they, um, they'll do it. So sometimes it's, it's a stall tactic or they're just saying, you know what, I'm, 
I'm not really comfortable yet with doing it this way. Right. Uh, so does that make sense? Yes, that makes total sense. That I just didn't know like what's the approach, but yeah, it sounds like they're not motivated indeed. Yeah. yeah. Cause I, I thought of, you know, splitting the equity even even 60 40 just to get like the deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it it, it kind of depends on if there's cash flow in it or, or not, right? Maybe right. give right. them the higher price if they give you the lower rent and, and you can get instead of three hundred a month cash flow, maybe you can get seven or eight hundred a month in cash flow. Yes, exactly. And I said, I tried to say, well, the tenant buyer's payment is not going towards the principal. So can that account for some of the, you know, for some of the appreciation? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. So get some kind of rent credit from the seller. Sure. Got yeah. it. Got it. Got it. Awesome. All right, Alana.